Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast. I'm so thankful you're listening today. Visit us online at pathtozion.com. Would you please share this broadcast with people that you know? I know I'm saying that all the time, but I'm just telling you, if, if, if you copied and shared on your Facebook or whatever source of media you use, it would just so help get the word out of rediscovering the ancient way. Again, if this is a program you listen to, would you please share it? Would you, would you spread the word of what we're trying to accomplish here, which is unearth the way that's been forgotten and abandoned in our age? Um, I want to acknowledge real quick, man, we, we have got listeners popping up all over the world. It blows my mind. France is like through the roof with listeners. I, I don't understand it. I don't know who's doing it, but man, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thank you so much for listening. It's so, it's so humbling to me. It's, I can't even put into words. I can't, I can't wrap my brain around the fact that people beyond this household of mine <laughs> would care about anything that the Lord might say through this vessel of clay. So thank you for listening. Please help spread the word. I really, I'm thoroughly convinced that, yes, I'm a flawed vessel of flesh, but I believe that the Lord is speaking. I am thoroughly convinced that God himself, Yahweh eternal, is continuing what he does, which is the pattern of revealing himself through mere men. I believe he's doing that, and I believe he's wanting to do that in such great measure. I'm telling you, it's all I want to do. It's all I want to do right now. I don't care about my business. I don't care about my farm. All I want to do is commune with him, devour his word, and talk about the living testimony reality of knowing my creator. And listen, so that takes me right to right now today. I'm so, man, excited does not even cover it. Man, I'm telling you, the, the word of God is living. And it is, in fact, active. Friends, if you don't know that, there's something you've got to sit down and assess. Why in the world do I read the Word of God and nothing seems to happen in me? Nothing changes me. Nothing arrests me and like fills me with vitality. Like right now, like this guy on this podcast is saying happens for him. That's okay. That was a lot of my life. But listen, this Word, it is alive. Okay? We don't have time to get into all that. I'm, my moments right now are very precious. Listen, I want to do, do probably what is going to become a two-part series. I'm telling you, I could spend days and days of studying into this because everything I read leads me to something else, which leads me to something else, which leads me to something else. And I'm telling you, I'm so stoked about it. I'm having to really reel myself back because I would like to just turn on this recorder and talk for the rest of the day. Oh my gosh. Okay, so listen. I'm Again, I'm going to assume that this will likely be a two-part series. If you listen to this broadcast at all, you know, hey, well, <laughs> might be a little longer than that. Let's just see. 
let's posture our hearts to hear what the Lord's saying. The name of this is going to be from nothing, <coughs> excuse me, from nothing to the king's table. From nothing to the king's table. And I'm telling you, this is why the word of God is alive. Okay, so if you know anything about us and our household, every morning we do a whiteboard teaching. This morning I pretty much randomly landed in 2 Samuel. I've not been in 2 Samuel um, for at least a month, but that's where I was this morning, and I ran across the line referencing Mephibosheth, okay? The weird name dude that was in the timeline of David, and I remembered that I did a teaching on this account a little bit last year. I don't remember all the details. I think I only touched on it, um, establishing more of a pattern than about this account specifically and only isolated to it. So that being said, I wrote out a verse this morning that I grabbed out of 2 Samuel that just like, man, I'm telling you, it just got all over me. It just, it just became alive. And so like, I'm like, okay, y'all, y'all go do school. Daddy's disappearing. I'm going to, the, the Spirit is saying something about Mephibosheth today. The, the, the text is going to be 2 Samuel. We're going to have to try to make this concise. A little bit in chapter 4 when Mephibosheth is introduced to us, but primarily in 2 Samuel 9 and 10. And basically there is a theme, there is a pattern that I am absolutely thoroughly to the core of my being convinced is for us today. For us to hear, for us to listen to, and for us to rightly respond when we see this pattern within the eternal scriptures that makes its way all the way to us today about literal men. Things that truly happened, that really did transpire in the lives of men like us, walking the natural earth and natural bodies and had experiences recorded that were preserved to make it all the way to us to what? to teach us, to, to expand our understanding about our own place, about our own role, about our own function within the timeline of God. Okay, so like, man, I'm telling you this, if you could see me right now, I'm pacing, I can't stand still, this is so permeating every cell of my body. Lord, please help me get your point across. 2 Samuel chapter 4, we're going to be introduced to this guy with the strange name Mephibosheth. Chapter 4, verse 4, Jonathan, Saul's son, he had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse took him up and fled, and it happened that in her haste to flee, he fell, and he became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now that's all we really see for the most part right here, right now, about we are just informed that Jonathan had a son. His name was Mephibosheth. When the horrible news came back, in the haste of the situation, the boy falls. He's young, and, and this fall was so tremendous that it crippled him for the rest of his life. And basically put a stamp upon him, 
because we just kind of jump forward into time when he's grown. And he is dwelling in a place where we'll pick up here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, where he is in a, a city called Lodabar, an area, city, country, I'm no scholar. He's in Lodabar, okay? And so here's Mephibosheth we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And, and please, please be patient to stick with, if this takes me some time to really extrapolate and make sense, please be patient with me because there's something within this that I think might change our lives, literally. And I don't mean that flippantly, right? So stick with me if it takes me a few minutes to kind of connect the pieces of the puzzle for us, okay? So 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm just going to choose to read some and we'll try to come in and out of the text. Verse 1, David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, Yes, I'm your servant. He asked him the direct question, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I might show kindness of God? And Ziba said, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. Okay, so... Fast forward, he's still the same as the condition we saw him when he was dropped at five. He is a crippled man now. So the king said in verse four, where is he? Ziba said, well, he's in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodibar. Okay, so y'all listen. This, (laughs) oh God, what do I even get to. Okay, so like I I just immersed myself in word studies and names for the last hour or so. Okay, like this this isn't like, man, I've been studying this for days. Listen to this. This is just this is just a mere layer of understanding that we can take and and pull out and extract from these living scriptures of what God has taught us and desires to to extend to us in whatever level of understanding we presently walk in. Okay, so Mephibosheth is, is reintroduced. I've been trying to find why he was in the house of Machir. Why, what, okay, what's the significance of this guy? Why is he there? Um, I just did a little bit of poking around, and I, I found, you know, quite quickly. Um, okay, so this Machir guy, he's the son of Manasseh. And so I'm like, okay, so I'm doing some word studies that were very interesting, but started taking me down a road that I didn't feel is for right this moment. So whatever the case, he is in Lodabar. Now, Lodabar is very significant from the outset of why we must know what Lodabar is to know what the Lord's going to say to you and I today. It was the land of nothing. It was the land of no pasture. Now, we know that in a lot of the writings of the Old Testament, the way that you saw the blessing and favor of God was it was an abundant land. It was, that's what men were looking for. That's what the people of God were looking for. That was a sign of, of God's hand upon a place and a people was that their land flourished. If you look into old Canaanite gods, if you, if you know anything at all about the Old Testament patterns of of little e Elohim, they provided, I'm doing air quotes, 
abundance for their people. So like often, I mean the heavy dose of the little E Elohim of ages past, ancient cultures, was primarily evident and seen through what? The abundance of the land, the abundance of crops. They, they, the gods brought water, they brought good soil, they brought fertility to crops and to livestock. And so this land was known as the land of no pasture. Nothing, literally. It was the city of the forgotten, the city of the forsaken. Like you went there, in my understanding, you went there to just disappear. You went there to just get away from your wretched life and just continue on in the land of nothing, being nothing, having nothing, okay? Amos 6 even talks a tiny bit about, it just like briefly references Lodabar. The Lord is chastening, quote, those who are at ease in Zion. That's, that's the preface of this tiny little reference in Amos chapter 6. And, and the people that are at ease in Zion are rejoicing over their conquest of Lodabar. In other words, they were bragging about their victory over merely nothing. I believe part of that, if we use our spiritual understanding according to what these names mean, I think that Yahweh was saying, you know what? Big deal. You're, you're, you're saying part of your boasting is that you were victorious over nothing. You were victorious over a land of desolation. Big deal, right? It was part of God's chastising to use the understanding of Lodabar being a land of nothing good, of nothing of value. So, in other words, I'm just using that to kind of build an understanding of this place where Mephibosheth dwelled. This is where he called home. Okay, so... Man, there's so many different things, right? Oh, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Mephibosheth is called upon, and, and the servant goes, and he's going to get Mephibosheth and bring him to David, the king's palace, okay? They find out where he is. He is sent for. He is brought from the house of Mekar in Lodabar. Verse 6. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and this is when it begins to get really, really, really awesome. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son um, who was the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. Pause. Right here, friends, is about to come a revelation to your understanding if you're listening to what I'm saying. And if more importantly, you're listening to what the Word of God will speak to us in an understanding that is above our natural capacity. Okay, listen. Please listen to what I'm saying. There are two words right here in this verse that could literally revolutionize our response to the king. Okay. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we are in verse 6. When Mephibosheth is brought to the king, he, number one, fell on his face. Okay? Listen. He fell on his face. Please listen to what I'm saying. I could say that 1,000 times. This word that he fell on his face is nafel. 
Nafel. It's Hebrew, N-A-P-H-A-L. He, Nafel. He bowed before and he fell prostrate before. He, he fell down, okay? He fell down before David when he was brought to him. Now, this is what's interesting, and I want to jump right back real quick to 2 Samuel chapter 4, when we're told Mephibosheth even exists for the very first time, and what he did in the horrible news that came to him about his family being wiped out. And the nurse is, is with him and fleed in her haste. Mephibosheth, in verse 4, he nephel. And he became lame. Okay, so do you understand what I'm saying? At the outset of Mephibosheth coming onto our radar in the Bible, five years old as, as a human child, he nafel. He fell. He nafel. Okay? Please, please listen to what I'm saying. Have I said that yet? <laughs> and so when he is brought into the king, what did he do again? He not fell. He not fell. Okay? That's number one. And then, after he fell on his face, he, after he not fell, he prostrated himself. Okay? So he not fell, and then he prostrated himself. Shaka. He shaka. He fell down on his face, and then he prostrated himself, which is Hebrew shaka, which is he bowed down in reverence and in worship of the king. Simultaneous responses, number one, number two. I'm going to, I'm going to, man, if the Lord helps me, I'm going to bring this to a, to a point here, um, probably towards the end of number two, uh, part two of this series. And what does he say? David responds to the Nafal and the Shekah. Nafal and Shekah. And David said, the king says, Mephibosheth, he says his name. Okay? He, he addresses him directly. I know your name. Please get the spiritual imagery of what I'm saying. The king says, son, I know your name. I know who you are. And Mephibosheth says, here is your servant. Okay? He's prostrate on the ground. He fell and he laid himself out. He bowed himself low, prostrate in reverence of the king. He knows he's in the presence of the king. And David, the king, says to him, don't fear. Why? For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Verse 8, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Here's Mephibosheth. What does he do? Again, he shakas himself. He bows himself flat on the ground in absolute reverence of the king. And he said, what is your servant, me? What am I that you should regard a dead dog like me? Let's just stop right there. 
Friends, you are Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. I am Mephibosheth. During our teaching time this morning with my family, I walked out of the room and I, and I told my son, I said, look, we're going we're gonna to demonstrate this. We're going to demonstrate what this eternal word of God, this account of, of real men is teaching us, son. And so I walked out and my son called Mephibosheth. I had him be David. I said, call me, son. He said, Mephibosheth, come here. Come here, Mephibosheth. And I put, I had a hoodie on, so I put the hood over my head and I walked out limping, dragging my legs. And y'all, I literally felt the Spirit of God in this, in this mere teaching, right? This just teaching. No, so much more than that. And as I went up to the king in our little demonstration of this story, I real tears began to come down my face because I felt the reality of what this is saying. And I approached the king and I said, don't you know who I am? I'm a dead dog, oh great king. Oh mighty king, I'm nothing. Don't you know who I am? And the king is saying to you, friend, I know your name. I know your name, son. I know who you are. But there is a covenantal agreement that let, let's just be honest. You know what? It doesn't have anything to do with you. It doesn't have anything to do with you, son. It's something that supersedes you, and, and it was in place before you were even on the earth. Before you were even born, something was established that has made its way all the way into you. And because I'm a covenantal king, because I covenanted with the Father, I have some good news for you, son. I know you're lame. I see it. I look at you. I see it. You're broken. You're full of shame. You're living in a land of nothing. You're in desolation. But guess what? There's something good for you. There's something for you, son. And I'm the king and what I say goes. I'm the king and what I say is absolutely what will be in place. So David says to him, the king says to us, don't fear. I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of the covenantal agreement. And you will sit at my table. You will sit at my table. And what was Mephibosheth's response? Shaka. Oh, Shaka. There's this song from a band I listened to 20 years ago. It used to be one of my favorite songs. And in the chorus, he cries out, Oh, Shaka, where did you go? Where did you go, Shaka? And friends, I'm just saying right here, right now to you, where in the world has the Shaka gone from the people on the earth? We have forgotten that we're dogs. 
We have forgotten that we are crippled, forsaken, forgotten people living in a land of nothing. But it's time we remember. It's time we fall. And it's time we stay down after we fall and we go in reverence at Shekah before the king and say, Oh God, oh wonderful king, Messiah. Don't you know who I am? And then listen to the response of the king to say your name. To say your name and say, I fully know. I know. (laughs) But there is something in place that supersedes who you are that will override your present circumstance. And Mephibosheth's response was perfection because he laid himself in the shakah lowliness again. He did not jump up and high-five David and said, all right, man, thanks. Awesome. What's for dinner? And may this be a warning to us that I'm going to get to in more fullness in part two. It's time for us to acknowledge our condition. And if we've done that, it is time for us to continue to shaka the king. As we try to even understand on any level, how in the world do you see me this way? And it's summed up about him showing kindness to us. The kindness of God towards us, the completely undeserved ones. I'm going to end this here. We'll pick up part two. From nothing to the king's table. Amen.